Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Oneness. Achdut Hashem, the unity of Hashem. And I'd like to start off by talking about love. Love of Hashem, love of another human, love, love of a Jew. Ahavat Hashem, Ahavat Israel. We actually learn there are three different types of love a Jew should have. Love for three different items. Mendel, what are those three items? Oh, you're supposed to have Avas Hashem, love Hashem. Avas Yisrael, love another Jew. And Avas HaTorah, love the Torah. God, you have to use your outside voice. I more or less got what you said. Um, should I say that again? Did you hear? When you use your outside yeah. voice, I can. So, Make the, believe you're screaming at when we talk about love, I want to share with you two stories of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov lived at the time of the Frankist movement. And in the years before the Baal Shem Tov passed away, there was a heretical sect led by a man named Jacob Frank. These Frankists being, began agitating amongst the Christian authorities against the Jews with specific emphasis against the Talmud. In 1759, the Bishop of Lemberg decreed that a debate should be held between the Jews and the Frankists. In fact, in a previous debate in 1757, two years prior, the Frankists succeeded in causing the Talmud to be burnt. And we have to know that for the Talmud to be burned, especially back in those days when there was, there were, every copy was sparse, it was a tragic, tragic day. The Baal Shem Tov was a member of the three-man delegation that represented the Jews, and they soundly defeated their opponents. At the same time, the defeated Frankists were forced to convert to Christianity. While most of the Jewish leaders were happy at the downfall of these evil men, the Baal Shem Tov was not. He said, The Divine Presence wails and says, So long as a limb is attached to the body, there is still a hope that there can be a cure. But once the limb is cut off, there is no cure forever. Every Jew is a limb of the Divine Presence. These are people, the Frankists were people who caused tremendous, tremendous harm physically and spiritually to the Jewish people. And yet the Baal Shem Tov said, We can't be happy when they converted to Christianity. The Divine Presence is crying. Story one. Story number one. Story number two, and then we'll get, take the question. Story number two. The Baal Shem Tov was unfortunately orphaned at a very young age from both his father and mother. The last words his father told him, which he lived with his entire life, was Yisraelic. Rabbi Yisrael Baal Shem Tov, his name was Yisrael. The last words his father told him were, Yisraelic, fear nothing but God alone. Love every single Jew without exception, with the full depth of your heart, and with the fire of your soul, no matter who he is or how he behaves. And perhaps knowing story, the second story I just shared will better understand the love that the Baal Shem Tov had for every Jew and how even when a Jew who unfortunately was doing something terrible is suffering still, we still can't be happy. Yes, David. Lemberg, if you look on the map, 
can't find it. It's Lvov. At that time, the Austro-Hungarian uh, Austro Empire was powerful. I think it was under the Austro-Hungarians that uh, it had that German name of Lemberg. And the Bishop of Lemberg at that time was Catholic, was not Orthodox. The largest, uh, probably the largest collection of Talmudim are in the Vatican Library. A number of Talmuds were seized, they weren't all burned. And there was a time in which there were very few copies of the Talmud extant. And had they not been hidden, uh, it's entirely possible the Talmud could have ceased to exist as a written work. And obviously the reason why it's so terrible is because most of them were hand copied. They were not all printed. There was printing by then, but it was very hard to come by. Uh, and so consequently, the Catholics in uh, Lemberg or Lvov, uh, and uh, the Dominicans played a role, were instrumental in creating that uh, mischief. Yes, thank you for that history about the, about the Talmud. So we have to love Hashem, we have to love every Jew. And we all know, and we've discussed this before, and we will discuss it forever, because it, it, it's tremendous. Hashem commands us to love Him. He commands us to love every Jew. And we know you can't command someone to love someone else. You could command them to respect them, but how could you command them to love them? What if they don't love them? What if they absolutely think that person is, smells, that person... You can't command someone to love something. Respect, I understand, but love. And in order for us to really understand how to love Hashem, we have to understand how we are Hashem. How Hashem is us and we are Hashem. This idea of how we are a part of Hashem is so central. Achtus Hashem. Achtut Hashem. I can't reiterate enough. These two words, they are, they are everything. And let, I'll say them in Hebrew and then translate. Achtut, unity. Hashem of Hashem. The unity of Hashem. Hashem is one. Hashem Echad. The, this idea, how Hashem is one, there is no existence outside of Hashem, is so central to Judaism. L let me read the two quotes. I, in my words, I couldn't, I couldn't come close to the words of the second Chabad Rebbe writing about his father. He writes the following. The Alter Rebbe, Rebbe Shneir Zalman of Liadi, had one single intent in all of his teachings, both public and private, whether on Shabbos or weekday, throughout his entire life. He, throughout his entire life, whenever he, whenever he was, wherever he was, his intent in everything was that Hasidim fully grasp Achtut Hashem, the oneness of God, in both mind and heart, to their utmost ability. The entire life of, of the Altar Rebbe was dedicated to this, that his Hasidim should grasp Achtut Hashem. Quote number one. Quote number two. The godly soul's life, within the light of Torah, mitzvot, and prayer of every person, is dependent on this understanding the depth of Achtut Hashem, God's unity. For someone to truly be able to take their godly soul and make it on fire, they have, they have to truly understand Achtut Hashem, the unity of God. Everyone, according to their ability, must toil in accomplishing this to the utmost. 
throughout life this is one's task to have instilled in his mind and heart the light of Achtut Hashem literally throughout our life our goal is to truly understand how we are a part of Hashem it's all one there's no Yitzchak, David Sandra, Basha, it's all we're all one And to, before we go into the Tanya, I want to share with you one more detail. The second section of Tanya is called Sha'ar Hayichud Emuna, the gate of unity and belief. You could see it begins in your Tanya if you flip to page 284. Here, the second section of Tanya begins. And yet, when you look inside of the second section of Tanya, you'll find something amazing. Just one moment. And that is that the Alter Rebbe, he writes in the second section that this is the first section he wanted to print. In other words, he, he printed Likutei Amarim first. But he let us know in the second section that truthfully the second section also should be first. Because the unity of Hashem is truly number one. What is the unity of Hashem? How could Hashem be one? Now, there's five to six people in the room right now. You're telling me we're all one. It's not true. What? We're, we're going to learn. We're going we're to talk. We're going to discuss. But the Alter Rebbe, an introduction to bring this whole concept together, he starts off telling us about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments Hashem gave us on Har Sinai. How many of them did He say alone? Who could show me with their fingers? How many of the Ten Commandments did, did Hashem tell us Himself? with your fingers. Anyone? Perfect. The first two. The first two commandments of Anochi Hashem Elokech, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Hashem told us. The second command, don't have any other gods in front of me. Lo Hashem himself said. And the Gemara in Shabbos tells us how each, every time Hashem spoke a command to the Jewish people, remember what happened? They perished, they died, and their bodies physically flew backwards miles. They were standing by the foot of Har Sinai, and Hashem says, I am the Lord. They all died. And Hashem revived them. And they flew backwards and came back for the second time. Finally, after the second time, the Jewish people said, Hashem, this is special, but uh, we don't want to die. And he said, Moshe, you tell us, you, you tell us the rest. So the first two Hashem said, the second eight Moshe said. Now did Hashem say the first two because, did Hashem only say the first two because the Jewish people couldn't handle it? Or did Hashem only say the first two because they were the only two that the Jewish people needed to hear? Hashem only said the first two because those were the only two that the Jewish people needed to hear. 
The other eight Moshe could say. Why? You want an answer? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I want to share with you. I want to go off topic for a second. Animamin. How many how many principles of Jewish faith are there? Thirteen. Many shuls sing the thirteen animamin very often. They sing it maybe every day, every Shabbos. Many shuls not only they don't sing it, they will not sing it. Like anything in Judaism, there's a massive split. Either you say it or you don't say it. Saying it, I think, is we understand. You want to remind yourself the 13 principles of faith. But why wouldn't you say it? That means if you're going to come and ask me to say it, I'm going to tell you I don't say it. Okay. Well, let's talk about something more foundational. The Ten Commandments. When was the last time you were in a synagogue that said the Ten Commandments after Shul? When they said the commandments when? When were the last time you were in a synagogue Aside from in reading of the Torah, when were you in a synagogue that after davening said, let's read the Ten Commandments together? Hopefully never, because you're not allowed to. Not allowed to. You shouldn't even write the Ten Commandments on a piece of paper, in a box. Why? Because... If someone would come to Shul and hear the Ten Commandments, they would say, I heard the Ten Commandments. I got my commandments for the day. That's the focus of the Torah. The rest is commentary. And let me stick with the Ten. Except that's not the focus of the Torah. Except that's not correct. You're right. For someone to go and, and, and say that the Ten Commandments is the foundation of the Torah and everything else is commentary is, is not true. There's 613 commandments. Yeah, within the 613 commandments, yeah, within the 10 commandments are hidden the other 613. How do I know that? Because you're a rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> How many letters are in the 10 commandments? Menel Mishlevin? 620. 620? 620. How many commandments are there? 620. <laughs> How many commandments are there? 620. What happened to 613? Ah, what happened to 613? Seven. Seven. Noah. Not Noah. Seven rabbinic laws. Oh. Seven rabbinic laws. Hanukkah and Purim, washing your hands. We're not going to get into it now, exactly how we have seven. But there's 613 Torah law, biblical laws, and seven Torah laws. And seven rabbinic, seven rabbinic laws. 620. There are 620 letters in the Ten Commandments telling us that within the Ten Commandments is hidden not only the biblical laws but even the rabbinic laws. And this is a very important point. The rabbinic laws are not rabbinic laws that if you like it, you do it. No. The rabbinic laws are laws that Hashem told us through His messengers, through the rabbis. So, all, so going back, we were talking about the Yigdal, we were talking about the Animamin, the 13 principles of faith. The people that don't say it, you know, they, there was a man on an island, a man alone on an island. And someone once came to visit him, he was the only man on the island. And uh, someone came for Shabbos and he says, 
says, welcome. I want you to know there's two shuls here. The guy says, two shuls? He's the only guy living here. He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a shul I go to and the shul I don't go to. <laughs> so with the animamin, the reason we don't say animamin, or, or some of the custom not to, is because, yes, there are 13 principles of faith. But we don't want people to believe that this is Judaism. This Judaism is much greater. Judaism is much more than the 13 principles of faith. Thus, we learn it, we teach it, but we don't constantly remind ourselves that these are the foundations of Judaism. Going back, so now within the Ten Commandments are hidden all 613 mitzvot. Within the first two commandments are also hidden all 613 mitzvot. Why? Because the first mitzvah is a positive mitzvah. I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. So believe in me. Believe in God. Know God. So all positive mitzvot are hidden in the first of the Ten Commandments. The second mitzvah is a negative commandment. Lo yiyah. Don't have any other gods on my face. It's a negative commandment. So all negative commandments are hidden in the second mitzvah. So just like the Ten Commandments are inclusive of all the 613, similarly the first two are inclusive of all 613. And just to add, the truth is, the first word of the Ten Commandments, Anochi, is also inclusive of the entire 613 mitzvah. But getting back, what? Within the olive. Yeah, exactly. And within the tip of the olive. And now we can understand why Hashem only said the first two commandments. Because by saying the first two commandments to us, He said all 613 commandments. By saying the positive command of I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt, Hashem inclusive, was inclusive within there all positive mitzvot by saying Lo alpan, I don't have any other gods inclusive within that was all negative commandments and that is why Hashem said only the first two commandments to us and Moshe was able to say the remainder yes David I didn't want to bring it up as a point because I didn't want to break the train of thought or the flow but going back to the important point you made about all of us is to love one another as Jews and that that's an essential part. It's so essential that it's a key part of the Amidah. Uh, bless us as one. Yeah. And that we pray for the entire congregation and it's an important section, important enough to be included in the Amidah. Thank you, David. Correct point. Chapter 20, page 84. We're going we're gonna to learn this together. It's going to become one with us. Just to quickly remind us, that we've previously learned how everyone has a revealed love within them. But we need to know how is this revealed love easily Kikaro How is it easily accessible? And in order to understand that we're now going to delve into the topic of the oneness of God, Achtos Hashem. Chapter 20, page 84 It is well known that the commandment and admonition concerning idolatry, meaning the commandment to believe in God, and the negative commandment not to serve idols, which are contained in the first two commandments of the, of the Ten Commandments, I am, and you shall not have any other gods, comprise the entire Torah. The first two commandments of the Ten comprise the entire Torah. Let's read notes number one and four on the bottom. 
the positive and prohibitive aspects of the injun injunction respectively are the, fir the first and second commandments. Photo number four. The first, I am, is the positive. The first commandment, I am, is the positive. And the second commandment, you shall not, is the prohibitive aspect. Both ruling out idolatry. The first implicitly, and the second explicitly. Back in the Tanya. For how could it be that the first two commandments include the entire Torah? For the commandment, I am Anochi, contains all the 248 positive precepts, while the commandment, you shall not have, contains all the 365 prohibitions. That is why we heard only... I am and you shall not have directly from the Almighty, as our sages say, because these two are the sum total of the whole Torah. Inclusive within the first two commandments are the entire Torah. Are there any questions? No. Any questions, Sandra? Any thoughts? I have some thoughts. <laughs> Do you want to share? <laughs> well... In my mind, when you're talking about the 13 attributes or the 13 principles, principles um, it suggests a finite aspect. Where finite, yes. Yeah. It should be infinite. Okay. But at the same time, it's finite because those help you interpret the Torah in an infinite way. And there weren't 14, there were 13. And so, um, it's like infinite and finite in one. I, I, I want to, I have a question. Okay. Are you talking about the 13 methods of learning the Torah? It's the Baraita. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th th that's something else. something else. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Okay, what were you talking about then? Good. The not the th you you were talking just to clarify. There's a a Mishnah, there's a Brisa, which was authored by the same people as the Mishnah, but just wasn't included in the Mishnah. That tells us thirteen methods of understanding the Torah, and like Sandra, that was very nice the way you, you said it that these are 13 tools that allow us to infinitely go deeper and deeper into the Torah, yes. I was talking about something else written by Maimonides many years later, by the Rambam, where he writes 13 principles of faith. To believe in God, to fear God, reward and punishment, Mashiach, resurrection of the dead. Thirteen. Yeah. Yeah. This is the only revelation, there will be no others. Right, he talks about prophecy, yes, yes, yes. Yitzchak, any thoughts? No, I'm just listening. <laughs> okay. How could it be that the first two commandments of idolatry, idol the first two commandments of idolatry include the whole Torah? If you told me the first two commandments are Shabbos and to love, to respect your parents, beautiful. If you were to tell me the first two mitzvahs, mitzvot are to pray to God the entire day and to uh, 
uh, you know, uh, tell me something special. To only eat uh, kosher, fine. But, but idolatry? Idolatry is such a... Today, in our times, it's, it's such a negative thing. It's such a low thing. And the whole Torah is inclusive within this. How could that be? We're going to come to explain how every mitzvah that we do is destroying idolatry and every Avera, God forbid, someone does, even if the, it's the smallest Avera that, uh, you know, they're not listening to their parents, that is an act of idolatry. Every, again, every mitzvah we do is not serving idols. And every Avera, God forbid, someone does in any aspect, in a sense, is serving idols. How could that be? That's what we're going to discuss now in this topic of Achtos Hashem, the unity of God. Go ahead. We have to establish a necessary and present condition. Something on which everything else is, pre is dependent. If we do not accept that Hashem is our God, and that there is no other idol or, or whatever we our imagination conjures up, then the rest of it's irrelevant. We must accept that as a condition because everything else that follows proves and shows that we accept that. If we don't accept Hashem as the basic premise, then we can argue as to whether we really need to keep kosher. Eh, what if I celebrate Shabbos for half a day? We can rationalize and engage in all of the subterfuges that human imagination can, can indulge. Uh, if we accept that Hashem is our God and that there are no idols, then everything else falls in place as commandments that we accept on faith. If we don't have that faith, it all vanishes. Yes, yes, point accepted. And, and we'll talk more about that as we go. Yes. The only reason I raise it is it seems to me to be a basic premise, what I refer to yep. as a necessary and present condition. Let, let's see where this takes us. Yes. In order to elucidate this matter clearly, we must first briefly refer to the subject and essence of the unity of the Holy One. Blessed is He. In order to better understand how the first two of the Ten Commandments are inclusive of, uh, inclusive of the entire Torah. We have to discuss the oneness of God. Achtos Hashem. In a simple sense, Achtos Hashem, unity of God, means there's only one God, no other God. But we're saying much deeper. Not that there's no other God. There's nothing else that exists aside for God. And we're now going to bring some proof different proofs from passages, from things we say in tefillah. Let's see it inside. Who is called one and unique. Echaz. Yachid Hashem is called one. Not that Hashem is called Echad. You know, if you say you're... What does Echad mean? Echad doesn't mean one. Echad means one... Echad, in a way, it means first. Because if you have Echad, you could have Sheni. 
If you have one, you could have two. So it says, actually, when we say Hashem Echad, the commentators say that that's a very troubling terminology. In the Shema that we say, the most treasured prayer of the Jewish people, the most treasured line of the, of the Jewish people, Shema Yisrael, unfortunately, so many people were killed. With this. Yet, it says Shema Yisrael, here, Jewish, Jewish people, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem is our God, Hashem Echad, Hashem is number one. But there could be number two. There could be number three. Better would have been to say Hashem Yachid. Hashem is unique. Hashem is the only one. Okay. For another time, why we chose this terminology. But, in addition to calling Hashem Echad, we also call Hashem Yachid Miyuchat, One and unique. Meaning there is, not, there is no one else. And an additional quote, in the prayer on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we say, it's actually a song, anyone familiar with this? We also we say that all believe that He is all alone. There is no other existence. We say this in the tefillah. Exactly as He was before the world was created, when there was not besides Him, just like Hashem was before the world was created, where nothing else existed. That is the way Hashem is today. I wasn't around before the world was created, and I'm not around now. As is written, you were the same. You were the same before the world was created. You are the same since the world has been created. This means exactly the same without any change. And now we quote a passage as it is written. Ani Hashem lo shanisi, for I the Lord have not changed. Simply meaning that unlike humans who were constantly changing, were growing older, Hashem doesn't change. But no, we're saying much more than that. We're saying Hashem has never changed. Okay, we're getting into tough ground here. And this is, these are passages. We're saying Hashem. There's been no change. There's been no change. But there has been change. We're alive. We're breathing. Today there was an eclipse. The, sun, the moon covered the sun. There was, there's movement. Things are happening. How could you say there's no change? What, what does that mean? Let's continue. In as much as this world... And likewise, all supernal worlds do not affect any change in His unity, blessed be He, by their having been created, yesh mayayin, ex nihilo. Okay. Everything that was created has no effect on Hashem. What does that mean? That means we're here, we're doing Torah and mitzvot, but we have, we have no effect on Hashem. Let's repeat back what we've said so far. We've said 
that Hashem has never, hasn't changed. And the creation that's here now hasn't changed Hashem. Listen to this quote. For just as He was all alone, single and unique before they were created, so is He one and alone, single and unique after they were created. What, what, what does this mean? What does this mean? There's been no change. There has been no change in the creative force. Hashem created change. We are reminded of that every time we celebrate Rosh Chodesh. So David is saying that the change was created by Hashem. The change is a part of Hashem. We're going to say it a little differently. Since, continues Tanya, besides Him, everything is as nothing, verily as null and void. Wow. There was no change because nothing else exists. We're not alive. Well, we, we, we feel we're alive. But our existence is nothingness. In the Hebrew, Kula Kameik Lo Chashiv. Everything in front of Hashem is as if nothing. Excuse me, Rabbi. Is that it because we have a temporal nature? That when we disappear, Hashem continues? Before, before during, and after? On the contrary. That, that should be a problem. The fact that there is something that is here and then leaves shows that there is change. But couldn't there be different kinds of changes? Can Hashem say He's... Well, He does. But Hashem does say that. How can we say that Hashem is the same before and after creation, meaning nothing happened? What do you mean nothing happened? That doesn't mean that. The same before and after creation, nothing happened. Ani Hashem lo A clear passage in Malachi, in Tanakh. It says, I am Hashem, I am the Lord, I have not changed. Yeah, but that doesn't mean nothing happened. Well, in the liturgy on Rosh Hashanah Kippur we say, You were the same before the world was created. You are the same since the world has been created without any change. Right, but I... I see it as not in his in his infinite powers in everything he's the same but that doesn't mean that things haven't changed <coughs> he's the same but things could still change right okay tell me tell me more about that well I don't know if I can explain it well, but you know, when he contracted his energy for our creation mm -hmm. and, and the universe and the world, there is a change there. Okay. And that same energy existed before and after the contraction, but there was change.
But the passage says, for I, am, uh, for I the Lord have not changed. He hasn't. He's still the one and only. He's still omnipotent. What's the difference between a woman and a mother? One's given birth. Is, is, is she a different person? One would think so. No, no. So is she a different... Is, 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 a, is a mother a different person than before she, when she was a woman? Has she, has she I changed? I still say you would think so because there's another dimension to her. But you can't say that of Hashem. He's all dimensions. I think, I think what you're saying is, tell me if I'm correct, that the fact that there's been creation I'm actually I'm not clear there, there, something has happened something has happened if Hashem is everywhere right. so now there's all of a sudden new, new, new ants f crawling around that weren't here before but he created it right so, so something he had creative power before the ants and after the ants and they also are part of his energy Wait, 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 wait. That, we'll talk about that point. Okay. But before we go to the fact that we're all a part of Hashem, we're all within Hashem, creation seemingly made a massive change. Yes. And so the question is, how can we say there was no change? Because there are different types of change. And, but they're all Hashem. Some of them involve us. Right. So we're going to let, let's talk more about what that means. We learned here since besides him, everything is as nothing, verily as null and void. Meaning that there's our understanding and Hashem's understanding. You know, if uh, I think we could ask Rabbi David here, he'll tell you well that a student could come to your office and he's truly done something terrible, and yet when in his mind he truly thinks he, he did something okay. Has that ever happened to you before? Mm. <laughs> that was a no, right? Yeah, it was a yes. It has. There's and it's the, always somebody else's fault. <laughs> <laughs> there's a child's perspective and there's the principal's perspective. There's a teacher's perspective. The same thing, there's Hashem's perspective and there's our perspective. It's called Das Elyon and Das Tachton. The supernal perspective and the and our perspective. In Hashem's perspective, we don't exist. When we look at ourselves, we feel we're, we're a serious existence. How could it be? Why does Hashem not look at us? Look, look at us. Look, look, look at... We're all dressed. We're all, we're all accomplished people. But what do you mean we don't exist? For the coming into being of all the upper and lower worlds, out of non-being and their life and existence sustaining them from re reverting to non-existence and not as was before 
is nothing else but the word of God and the breath of his mouth. Blessed be he that is clothed in them. This is exactly what Sandra was saying. And when I was, tr I was trying to think of an example of this, and I, I was at first, I'm thinking maybe this would be like a woman with a child inside of her. In other words, is it that we think Hashem has given birth to us, but in truth, no, we're still, we're, we're inside of Hashem. We're inside of the mother. Would that be a good analogy? And I realized right away that the truth is not at all. Because when a woman is pregnant, there's the woman and the child. There are two separate entities that are, yes, the mother is, is giving life to the child. She eats, but there's a child and there's a mother. They have two separate brains. They have two separate bodies. We're learning here that we are the mother. We are, we are Hashem. Not that we're a child. We are a part of Hashem. Let's read that again. For the coming into being of all the upper and nether worlds out of non-being, and their life and existence sustaining them from reverting to non-existence and not, meaning the fact that we were created, and the fact that we're constantly able to stay alive is nothing else but the Word of God and the breath of His mouth. Every moment we are alive, Hashem is giving us life. Hashem, people ask, what would Hashem need to do to destroy the world? The answer is, nothing. He has to stop creating it. Hashem doesn't need to destroy the world. Hashem needs to stop creating it. We are... We are Hashem. We are Hashem. We, Hashem, our entire existence is, is Hashem. There is nothing else. We're going to learn how even evil is 100% Hashem. By the way, where does our creation come from within Hashem? We said earlier, it comes from Hashem's speech. So yes, it comes from a lower level, but we are all absolutely 100% a part of Hashem from His lowest level. Yes, David. If I may presume, it is an important article of faith insofar as our part of Judaism is concerned that Hashem did not create the world. Perhaps we should say He sustained the world he sustains the world, and it's an article of faith that he will sustain the world, because the nanosecond he ceases to sustain, we cease to exist. And thus, through the continuity of time and before time, we only exist because of him. Yes, yes. Hashem is constantly creating the world. We can't say, okay, I created that now, now, if you want to pray to me, that's nice, but I'm the only God. Uh, I'm busy. Let's hear your prayers. I'll hear them. If he didn't hold up the world, figuratively speaking, with his finger, and folded that finger, there is nothing. Yes. Well, well, well put. Let's put this all together. We'll take some questions and we'll try and share where we're heading right now within the Tanya. Our existence is only but the word of God and the breath of His mouth. 
we are nothing but the word of God and the breath of his mouth. Remember, that means we're coming from a low level of God. So we're going to need to get to understand well, what does that mean from the word of God? And it's going to play, we're going to talk next week about what, what it means to be, what it means for a human to speak. What speech is. And we're going to use that as an analogy because if we're calling it God's speech, there must be some similarity to humans. We'll then be able to better understand what it means that we were created from God's speech. And but before... The Before, reason, go ahead. The yeah. reason this is important is because the Alter Rebbe was the one to put it into this articulated form. It isn't that it didn't exist before. Yes. The Alter Rebbe, Rebbe was the one who articulated the concept and put it into the Tanya for us to better understand. Yes. And that's why he's so important. I, have, I can't leave without telling you a, one more question. And that is... So maybe we don't exist. Oh, you have days like that too? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we don't exist. How do you know we're not just dreaming? How do you know that, that you're not in a dream right now? Have you ever had those dreams that until you woke up you were, you were living it? How do you know you're not just going to wake up in a few minutes? and realize that this whole life was one big dream. In other words, how do we know, according to Torah, that we're alive? Maybe we're just a part of Hashem. And there's two answers to this. Number one is, Hashem says He created us. Baratius Baralukim. The Torah, which is the Torah of truth, tells us that creation is an active thing. In other words, the world is here. There is an active world. And second of all, the Torah tells us that when we do something good, we're punished. When we do something negative, God forbid. The Torah tells us when we do something good, we're, we are rewarded. And when we do something negative, we're punished. Well, that means we're, that means that we're alive. You don't get rewarded and punished for what you do in your sleep. Well. Let me rephrase that. You do get rewarded and punished. You don't get rewarded and punished for what you dream about in your sleep. So the fact that there's reward and punishment says there's a, we really, truly are existing. So we, we exist, but yet we're saying we don't exist. We exist. The world is here. But like Sandra said earlier, it's just it's one thing. We are Hashem. We are Hashem. So we've concluded tonight we're part of Hashem. Now we have a lot more to learn. We have a lot more to learn. What does that mean? How could everything be a part of Hashem? What are, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Yes, Yitzchak. If nothing exists outside of Hashem, yeah. then that's the oneness. Exactly. Hashem is one. There is nothing else aside for Hashem. And just kind of jumping ahead, if everything is Hashem, then the worst thing in the world is an Avera. Because every single thing in this world is Hashem. And the human being 
is going to go against Hashem. Everything he's, everything he's in contact with is screaming at him. You remember we learned, were you here when, when, when we learned the analogy of the harlot? And we learned an analogy, I'll just quickly share it, where a king hired a harlot for his, to try and entice his son. So you remember. The, 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 evil is here. Evil is a part of Hashem. Evil is a messenger of Hashem. It's a good messenger. It's here to give us a reward. But when someone slips, evil is screaming at him. The harlot is screaming at the king's son. Why are you doing such a terrible thing? What, what are you doing? Rejoice. So, is there a difference between doing something that's against, like killing someone, that's part of the Ten Commandments? Yeah. And, um, eating um, cheese ten minutes after meat. Is there a hierarchy? Deep down, no. The Torah says, for a court of law, there is. But when we talk about, and this, that's a very good question, when we talk about what Hashem wants from us, there's not much of a difference. Hashem wants us not to do each Avera, and Hashem tells us, you'll never know which Avera is worse. And that was connected to the Holocaust. After the to, the, to, the, to the Holocaust. After the Holocaust, Many rabbis came out saying how the Holocaust was a punishment because Jews were doing and they said certain sins that Jews were doing that the Holocaust was a punishment. And the Rebbe came out very few times was the, was the Rebbe fire and brimstone. But when he was, he was. <laughs> and one of them was this conversation. He says, what? What are you talking about? The Holocaust was a punishment? Are you God? God himself tells us and with many sources that the only person who will ever know the value of each mitzvah and unfortunately the negative within Avera is Hashem. No one else will ever know. Yes, Hashem told the court of law that if someone kills, we have to, we have to remove such a person. The world can't continue with such a person. But that doesn't mean that a different Avera is, is better. No one else will ever know. No one else does. Your say perform each mitzvah equally because you don't know what the punishment exactly. is. Exactly, exactly, yes, yes. Or the reward. Yes. And the Rebbe was saying, he says, someone who says that the Holocaust was a punishment, he says their, their thought is warped. I heard this yesterday from someone, he told me, he says his idea of Hashem is he's sitting on a rooftop, he's a good sniper with a gun, and he's waiting to shoot. Not only, modern analogy. <laughs> not only is that wrong, it's cruel. It's, it's, it's shameful. Hashem is, Hashem is pained when someone thinks Hashem is, is, is a king sitting on a throne smiling at all of us. He says, I have to ask him, I love you. Yeah, so to put it back together, no one knows the value of a mitzvah, no one knows the value of an avera. Yeah. So what did the Rebbe say about the Holocaust? What the Rebbe said about the Holocaust was that we don't know. And he quoted the story of Rabbi Akiva when Moshe Rabbeinu went on, the, went on Har Sinai. He goes 
and he sees, he sees Hashem is making crowns for the different letters. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, Hashem, you're wasting your time. No one could care less about these crowns. No, no, we, barely have, we barely understand the Torah. The crowns we're going to have time for, we don't have time. And Hashem says, go to that classroom there in heaven. Moshe Rabbeinu goes to the classroom and he sees a, stu- a man, Rabbi Akiva. So now Moshe is now sitting in a classroom a few thousand years later. And Rabbi Kiva is giving this amazing, amazing class. And Moshe Rabbeinu is very, very... The Gemara uses the expression, he became weak, like a woman. He, he became... He, 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 he was... I'm Moshe Rabbeinu, and I don't understand the word this guy is talking about. And all of a sudden, a student raises his hand and he says, Rabbi Akiva, where do you know, how do you know what you're saying is true? And he says, what do you mean? I learned it from Moshe Rabbeinu. <laughs> okay, Moshe Rabbeinu goes back to Hashem and he says, Hashem, ha, I'd love to see the reward of such an awesome guy, uh, such an awesome person. Hashem says, okay. And he goes to another room and he sees they're cutting Rabbi Akiva's flesh into pieces. Rabbi Akiva was cruel. He was one of, he was... He was killed cruelly. He was one of the ten martyrs. And so Moshe Rabbeinu goes back to Hashem, and this is the point that, point that Rabbi quotes. He says, Hashem, this is the Torah, and this is its reward. There's reward and punishment, right? What was Rabbi Akiva's punishment? What was his sin that he did? And Hashem turns to Moshe, to Moshe and he says, Shtok, it's a quote from the story, Be quiet. Kach Allah b'machshava this is, my, this is what's in my mind. I don't want to hear another word. In other words, Hashem said, some things are above your understanding. Some things you'll never understand. And one of them is the Holocaust. Is the what? Is the Holocaust. It will, we will never understand. Until Mashiach comes, when we'll see this master plan. We'll, we'll see then, but we'll never understand it. Well, he said to the angels, don't plead again or the world will cease to exist. Exactly, same exact, it's a different story, but same, same answer, yeah. Well, it's sort of just adding that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hashem told the angels, if you keep on asking me why there's pain in the world, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to destroy the world. So. But in good news, the good news is Hashem loves us. Tonight is Rosh Chodesh El, the king is coming to, coming to the fields. Actually, he came about a half hour ago. He's here, he's smiling, he's accessible for each and every one of us. And it's time to make it happen. It's big, it's very big. El is a very special month. Thank you very much.